Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of the Dirty Side of the Good podcast. We've turned up late to qualifying and we've qualified on the Dirty Side of the Good. But since my name is Lance Strong, we're starting on pole position. I'm Yusuf and this is my co-host <laughs> Muhammad. And this is like the sixth, uh, sixth try to record <laughs> the beginning of this episode. So, yeah. The, you know what, we haven't done this in a while. That's yeah, right. no, me and my old friend, we'd call it the rusties. Yeah. Right, not just rusty, but you're covered in rusties, dripping in it, some might say. Yeah. So, anyways, on, on with the episode. <laughs> so, basically, uh, this episode, the next episode, we're going to be recording an uh, intro to F1 series where we're going to be talking about kind of like beginner stuff and then maybe a bit more advanced stuff. Um, and yeah. we'll cover kind of all the big topics related to kind of F1 essentially. So this is going to be like a, uh, so we're doing another two-part series. The last one was the uh, the season review. This time we're going to do a complete like from the ground up basics understanding of F1. And then next week is going to be more technical, getting into the engineering, the cars, the, like the aero, the engines, that kind of thing. But this one will be like very basic from the, from the complete start, you know, like absolutely nothing about F1. We'll try and go through everything to get you up to speed before the start of the next season. So, I guess from now we'll just start off with the history of F1 then, so, shall we get into it? Let's do it. Let's do it. I so, have no clue. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, we're the experts. So, F1, the F1 <laughs> championship started. There were, <laughs> there were races beforehand, but the first like actual uh, F1 championship, the same as we have them now, started in 1950. Ferrari was actually entered in that, and obviously they're still there now, so they have a rich history in the sport. Do you have, like, a favourite Ferrari era? Probably. I think everyone, like, probably, like, Michael Schumacher, that kind of era. That's, yes. Yeah, I think for everyone, that's kind of the iconic era, isn't it? They just totally, totally dominated everyone. Yeah. And I think with Michael, and, like, Michael became kind of, like, the brand image of the sport. He became kind of like the. Everyone, whenever someone referred to F one, they were kind of referring to Michael. He became yeah. synonymous with the sport, and so I think <coughs> that's why kind of Ferrari at that time became kind of. Definitely, yeah. Like half the if you speak to half the grid, like most of them talk about Michael being their idol when they grow up. So like yeah. most of the F one drivers of today grew up watching Michael Schumacher. And they were fans of him growing up. I mean, even his son's in the sport now as well. Yeah, probably like the the other era would be like um, Nicky, Nicky Lauda, like it's like early seventies. Yeah, late yeah, 70s. It would have been something late seventies. Like yeah, yeah, that car actually looked really nice, like as in like that shape. I really yeah. like that. The evolution of one cars is incredible, and we'll probably get more into that for the next one. So, yeah, so Ferrari's been in the sport for a long time. McLaren. They've always raced, so since the start of the actual championship, yeah. Ferrari have been there. Like besides, I think one ra- they actually ran white colors. I think for one race, when they think, yeah. were not there for like one race, something like that as a protest for them, like gonna, they were gonna leave essentially. Like they love doing that. They love playing that card. But they just threatened to they, leave every yeah, five because, seasons. Like because the sport is synonymous with Ferrari, basically, but. They never actually left. I think, like, besides, like, one race or something where they did it as a protest, they raced in every single, like, race up to today. It's crazy. Actually, I think I saw a stat quite recently, which was the first time two Ferraris didn't manage to complete the first lap of a race they were in was Singapore 2017. 
It was, I think it was 17 when uh, Vettel and uh, Kimi Reichen knocked each uh, Reichen crashed Reichen. into, uh, oh, I said into Verstappen. I said Kimi and then I said Raikkonen as if I'm correct. Or <laughs> <laughs> like they're two different people. But yeah, so they're the most, obviously seeing as they've been in the longest, you wouldn't be surprised to hear that they're the most successful in the sport. Every time Ferrari has a drought, they don't win anything. They come back eventually. Like it's a safe bet to say, oh yeah, it doesn't matter how long it will be, but eventually they'll come back. Maybe to refer to the amount of money they have and the amount of engineers they have, they're, yeah. g- they're going to come back eventually. Obviously, Their resources are massive. Before this year, the, uh, there wasn't kind of like a cap on the money. So yeah, interestingly, they, they get paid millions just for entering. So, like, so oh, yeah. this is completely separate from prize money. Just the fact they'd entered into the, uh, the season, they'd, they'd get, get like paid a massive amount. Million, I think it was, it was something that. ridiculous, yeah. And yeah. obviously they'd get more than the other teams. Like McLaren and Williams would get a bit as well, but not as much as Ferrari. It's called, I think it was like a heritage fund, essentially, where it's yeah, like Ferrari got uh, like the most, and then McLaren, Williams, and Mercedes, I think, got a bit. And then basically everyone else. Yeah, they wouldn't get as much as we've had. We'll get into the, the different teams later, but like just specifically history-wise, we've got Ferrari, the biggest. McLaren, also there. They have a rich history. They have periods of dominance as well. I'd say the most iconic has to be pretty much everyone's favourite car is the McLaren MP44. Yeah. Which yeah. is... Uh, I think that era was just well. like insane. I think like out of the big car brands we have today, like the only one to actually start an F1 and then become kind of like a road car and develop from there was McLaren. Yeah, they made the Whereas road Ferrari, didn't they? Yeah, Ferrari was actually like a road car and then they got into Formula 1. Williams has always been an F1 team. They've never made a road car. All the other teams were road cars and then they like came into the sport, like sports cars, and then they came yeah. into the sport. McLaren was the only team that actually started off as a Formula 1 team and then branched out and made essentially like now they have sports cars and road cars and such. But yeah, because they don't tap into the like yeah. average market. They exactly. go straight in for the high performance cars and stuff. Yeah, but like if you look, they they have like, I think it was I sent you like a video where they have a factory in a factory or like a massive storage unit in McLaren oh, yeah. Yeah. with all like the Formula One car and it's just beautiful. There's some nice. I think a couple of years ago actually, F One posted a video. I'll try link it if I can find it. It was. It was just an animation, imagine like a blue background, the outline traced of an F1 car, and it varied from 1950 up until now, and they had a steering wheel in the top left corner or something, doing the same thing. And it's really interesting to see the evolution of how they changed and what they looked like, because honestly, the 1950s cars, if you look at it, it looked like a tin can, like it literally just was a tin can, and then there was a massive hole in the front for where the driver would sit, and that was it. And then slowly they'd introduce wings and stuff, and they'd keep making better designs. Downforce. A lot of like the technology we have in cars today actually came from Formula One. Yeah, so like yeah. paddle shifts you have in cars nowadays that originated in like Formula One, like it became like widely adopted in Formula One. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised uh, surprised if it was actually like designed for a Formula One car and then adopted. But it was widely used in like was it like Formula One in the beginning. I think it was, um, yeah, it was like mid 90s or something. I think Ferrari might have been the first team yeah. to introduce it. And then, like, stuff like uh, like increasing downforce, like, downforce essentially became a big thing in Formula One. Uh, the sleek car designs you see today, like the bar of soap looking kind of cars, they come from F1. Like, before yeah. everything was literally just a square and it was just a fat block. And you can tell, like, you can tell how uh, modern a car is based on how sleek the curves are, and that's all from F1 as well. 
the so idea of like studying aerodynamics essentially and how to decrease your drag and like improve your performance through just aerodynamics rather than like putting a bigger engine in the back. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of the solution at the beginning was it want to do better for a bigger engine. Famously, Enzo Ferrari actually said, um, I think he said aerodynamics is for people who don't know how to build engines. Yeah. So the idea was if you want to go faster, just build a bigger engine. But obviously now we're focusing more about aero. Every single F1 team now would disagree. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into aero later and not too much, but we'll do like a little introduction. Um, but Williams, Williams is a big, another big F1. Yeah, so Williams, up until the Mercedes dominance that we've seen today, is a, it was a, like distinctively the third best team, which is very surprising because it was started by Sir Frank. Frank Williams, who actually died quite recently, like only a couple months ago. And he made this team just by himself. He started it up, him and like, I think one other guy. And they started it in like a carpet factory just outside of Oxford. And they turned it into a dominant team so fast. Like they dominated a lot of the 80s and a lot of the 90s. Had some then, really good drivers. Yeah, and then it's a bit damaged. They started the two thousands was kind of a bit disappointing. No, yeah, they've they've been in a bit of a slump since then, but but yeah, yeah, they've changed ownership now and they're moving on. Uh, so that's the teams, I guess, of the history. Mercedes, but Mercedes, Mercedes has been there since the start. I guess they it's did worth leave, mentioning Mercedes as well. They did leave, but like the first few championships were won by Mercedes. Like the, at the beginning, Fangio won a few with Mercedes at the beginning. And you have that iconic kind of Mercedes design where it looks like a tin can. can yeah. <laughs> and then Mercedes left for a bit, but Mercedes like kind of kept in contact, even if there wasn't a Mercedes on the grid. There was generally someone who was running a Mercedes engine at some point. Yeah, they did produce quite a lot of engines. Yeah. Lewis Hamilton loves saying, like, oh, I've been driving Mercedes engines my whole career. And yeah. that's because Mercedes supplied McLaren's engines back then. Exactly, yeah. And I think even like uh, Mika Hakkinen with McLaren, they had a Mercedes oh, engine yeah, in the back. Yeah. Kimi, um, so we're talking from the late nineties through the two thousand. I think even I think before that I'm not sure, but I think before that they were still like I think from the early like mid early nine uh, I think from the mid nineties they came back providing engines. I'm not sure before that what was the situation. I think they took like there was a big accident if I remember correctly. There was a very big accident where they were involved, and then I think they took like fifty years out essentially, where they weren't involved in any racing. I'll describe this in the description if I can yeah. find it. I'll do uh, a bit of context not, in there. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, like, I remember reading something. They took, like, a big hiatus after, like, the first few uh, things. Because I think it was, like, related to um, Le Mans, I think. Or, like, some big... No, no, I think it was F1. There was, like, a big accident where a car went into the fans and, like, a few people died. Or, like, 80 oh. people died. So I think there was a big hiatus. I think it's related to this. If I do, I'll have a look. I'll try put it. Yeah, I'll put a little par paragraph or maybe like an article or something. I'll link something down there to try and give context. But yeah, so ever since about last couple of years, Mercedes have now they became a team in twenty ten, and then since they changed the rules, which we'll get onto later in like twenty fourteen, they've won every single constructors championship, which we'll also describe a bit later. I'm trying not to define things too. I'm trying to like group this properly but yeah so mercedes are now also like about the same in terms of most successful teams uh they're still on the grid now they're still very powerful now and a lot of people are actually expecting them to do well next year so we'll see how that goes in terms of drivers we already did michael seven-time world champion 91 wins 
If you, if you put it in context, I think Michael has won, like, out of all the Formula 1 races, he's won, like, 8.5% of all the F1 races in history. That sounds like that. right, yeah. That's insane. Like, when you actually stop and think one driver has won, like, close to 9% of all the races, and you think of... Like, I think Michael should, like, out of all the drivers, when you actually, when anyone, when you talk to, like, someone who's not interested in Formula One at all, today, whether they're old, they're young, it doesn't matter, and you say Formula One, they say one thing, and that's Michael Schumacher. Yeah. His name is, his name is to today, like, I think that's what we're talking about, like, why Ferrari became so big, or, like, why that era where he was at Ferrari is so, like, iconic, is because of him, it became so, like, because he was so dominant, and people compare him to like I don't know Michael Jordan or Messi or Ronaldo, or those kind of like he was just above yeah. everyone else, and so I think he became kind of like the the personality that whenever 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 someone thinks about the sport, it kind of goes to him essentially. I think that's completely, the yeah, and it's completely justified because the era of dominance is, dominance we mentioned earlier with Ferrari between including two thousand up until two thousand four were some of the like most dominant F1 cars we've seen. Like yeah. the F2002 and I think 2004 as well were like levels ahead. I think even in 1999, he broke his leg in Silverstone uh, and came back and he's still like almost on the championship. Like if he didn't break his leg, he would have had that championship wrapped up completely. So there's some insane stats. There was one season he was... Uh, 97, he was one point behind the game. Oh yeah, 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 there was that. Yeah, and just to round off this kind of dominant period with Schumacher, there was one season now. He's lost the record for the most podiums in a season to Verstappen last year. But that's only because but, the, um, the season is a lot longer now than it was back then. It was 17 yeah, races so and it was 23. It was 22 this year, and uh, it was 17 in 2002, and Schumacher was on the podium in every single race, which is incredible considering uh, reliability wasn't as good as it it is now, and unless you're just in terms of driving and stuff, unless you're Mercedes, yeah. But that feels um, so weird saying. I'm not gonna lie. What would you mean? Also, Mercedes are known for being extremely reliable, and then their engine this year has just been strange. Yeah. But to be fair, they haven't had that many engine. They haven't retired from it. They just take penalties. Anyway, we're not gonna get into that. So, on top of that, we've also got the tracks, which is another historic part. There are certain tracks which have been on the calendar from the start. There's also other tracks that have been in pretty much almost every season. Uh, the most historic ones, there's quite a few, but I'd say the biggest four would be Monaco, Silverstone, uh, Spa, which is in Belgium, and Monza, which is the Italian Grand Prix. Those are the most iconic ones. There's also, you could say, Suzuka in Japan. Yeah, the Nürburgring. Nürburgring in Germany, yeah, that was another one. Spa and the Nürburgring uh, both had, like, bigger layouts. Fuji. Oh, yeah, Fuji's on there as well. But uh, Spa and the Nürburgring, if anyone's played, like, a, a racing game, the Nürburgring, you can get the Nordschleife, which is the famous, like, massive long one. That's the one they used to use for F1, but obviously after accidents and crashes and stuff, they, uh, they swapped that one out, and they use a shorter version of both now. Uh, Monza as well actually used to have a longer layout. But yeah, they used to have like this massive like banking, which they removed, which is kind of sad to be honest. Yeah, it was, it was insane that one. If you see pictures of it, it's, it's mad. But I mean, do you have a favorite out of these? People don't really Fuji. like Monaco anymore. But. I, 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 Fuji is just like 
it's that one racetrack where you go look at it and you're like the racetrack was just beautiful <laughs> honestly like as in like um the first time i actually saw it was in the we're going to talk about this a bit later but like nikki lauda's um the the movie where it's nikki oh, lauda about nikki yeah. lauda and james hunt and like the the racetrack below like the mount is just amazing so i'd say that one suzuka is really special as well uh, you didn't mention the Brazilian Grand Prix. Oh yeah, Brazil. Brazil's so historic. Yeah, Brazil's nice. It's very nice. Yeah, I'd say I'd say my favorite would be Silverstone, Monza, Suzuka, probably in Brazil. Fair enough. Those are good. Good choices to be fair. Uh, Spa would kind of be like the closest. I love Spa. So if anyone's got like a racing game, or if you if you get the F one app or something, they have like an app now where you can play the game. Like, race race anything around Spa, race anything around Monza. I'd say Spa is the favorite, but if you want to do like Monaco, if you want to rage, Silverstone, I like, Spa. I like, I like Spa. I just nice. don't like the back part of Spa. Like as in, you know, like the they go up the hill and around. That's the like to the end of the track. That part. Oh, you hate really the nice. sector. I just hate the rest of it. I love all of it. It's so yeah. fun. Once you hook it up, it's perfect like no. it's so you know they go downhill and then i yeah. just down like from that no no it's, no, it's fun it's fun don't listen to him it's actually just not interesting it's good it's just no no i've never actually played it like i've played there it you like, go. but as in the track is just way too long i prefer it like that though it flows nicely it does i'm not saying that i'm just saying it's, it's like the longest track it's better than short tracks though it's the longest track on the yeah but it's track. better than like austria Lap times in Austria, like I'm not years. saying no one's saying like Austria is good. I'm just saying like Silverstone is way better. Brazil is way nicer. As in, it's long, but it's not. That Brazil's bad. tiny. Yeah, but it's not like Silverstone's fine. Yeah, so Spa's just fine. way too long. Spa's literally the closest that came to it was Saudi and Sa Saudi. The new Saudi track is amazing. That you have to add that one. Like the new it's Saudi not track. It's not historic, but think? that track is amazing. Like. I have not watched a race, besides like what happened at the race, but as in the actual layout of the track, it's just amazing. Like the fact that it's so close, that if you do anything wrong, you're just straight to the back. I just don't. <laughs> you know, that's the issue in all the tracks now, because like they have way too much runoff. I think George Russell mentioned this way. He's they do, to be fair. He hates runoff because you can make a mistake and just come back in. Whereas if you make a mistake in Saudi, you strain the barrier you're out of this. Well, yeah, that is the thing that's in common with a lot of these old tracks is they don't have runoff, they have grass or they have gravel traps or like Monaco, they just have walls. So I guess that's what makes old fans love them so much because it's it's just the risk factor to it, I guess. Yeah, and it's, it's right on the edge. Like when you look at the cars, they're going maybe in certain parts like 300 kilometers per hour. And then you have to like break and go. And like, you know, in Monaco, there is that right left turn where Charles stuck in the wall. Swimming pool yeah. Uh, I'm not you sure. You mean swimming? Or just after the swimming pool? Yeah, yeah, you see yeah it's just after the swimming pool. You see all the yeah. drivers, they basically, like, they, like, the tire just I'll, touches... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I'll get a, I'll put this one in the description as well. That, that, that I know is, exactly that is, that is, like, you know, they just kiss the barrier. Yeah. That is, like, when... That's so beautiful. It's satisfying like, you, you to watch. You just look at it and you're like, ah, that's incredible. But, yeah... I'd say I'd say you have to put Saudi in there, not as a like as a great track, but not as a historic track. Yeah, it's it's all right to be fair. We could get into a it's a great track. Know. What are some of your like 
Do you have any standout moments from any of these? Like Monaco, Silverstone, Spa, Monza? Monaco... I'm trying to think. Monaco would be uh, Ayrton Senna going one-handed around, like, with, with yeah, his yeah, hand. Yeah. Like, that, that one is just... How, how he does that, I don't know. Like... That's different. Obviously. Because they're going... Yeah, yeah, they're going so quick. So, I, that kind of... Monaco, that stands out. I don't think anything else stands out, to be honest. Silverstone... Um, Lewis winning in the wet, where it's like 60 seconds, where he laps laps everyone. He laps Felipe Massa, who is like his title competitor. That was was too funny. Lewis is elite, yeah. Spa is like, and here comes Sebastian. (laughs) He overtakes Lewis. That's the sick one. People love that clip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's nice. Or like Pierre overtakes, I think it was Sergio Perez, like up there. Yeah, yeah, we linked this one. That was good. That was amazing. I guess Monza has to be either Charles Leclerc winning or or Pierre Gasly winning. Uh, No, I was going to say Sebastian winning in 2008. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was good. In the because he well. led pretty much the whole race. In the Toro Rosso as well. I should have won. Yeah, that's how, an how, Tauri today. How he took pole and led like basically the whole race, I don't know. That, that just showed like he was... Like when people say he's not that talented, people have no clue what they're talking about. Yeah, like, he true. led in a Toro. He took pole and led pretty much the whole race. That yeah. says everything you need to know. Brazil would be... I'm trying to think. There's so many moments in Brazil. It has to be so. It has to be so. But like, to be fair, it's been the title decider quite a few times. Yeah, there's some good like, moments, but Senna winning his first home race is like that. That one. There's is, a radio yeah. of him like screaming. There's that one. I, you, I think you have to yeah. say that, like, even if it's not. <laughs> yeah, and obviously this is like eighty, so this is before our time, but like still. Okay. It's worth mentioning. That one, but like as a second one, uh, would be like you know Michael Schumacher let Sebastian by. To win his the title, oh, oh, right. and if you didn't let him pass, you wouldn't have won the title. Twenty twelve. That, that was a, that was a. Ironically, uh, a race that ended under the safety car. Yeah. <laughs> we'll move on now to actually. To be fair, just to round right. off the history section, Lewis Hamilton now. He's won nine point two percent of all F one races. He is so seven times should have been eight world championships, a hundred and three wins I believe, the only black driver ever in F one. And he's the most successful. Like, he has so many records. If I listed them now, we'd be here, like, for, for the rest of minutes. the episodes. Like, honestly, it's... For two minutes. <laughs> you fully so... know. You fully know he has all the records. But... so salty, bro. Relax, relax. Kimi, Kimi has the most important one, bro. He's oh, raced the most Kimi's race, like... Kimi's race, like, what? 30% of all F1 races. Just actually think about that. Out Has he actually done from the nineteen fifties? No, no, he's raced like what? How how much is it? How many races no, is there? No, no, no. Actually, Google it. Maybe it's twenty something. No, thirty percent. I think it's twenty something. On the suspense of Google, <laughs> I actually have <laughs> a podcast. Surely no, it, it, I think it's just over three hundred. Oh wait. Yeah, the whole F1 has been 353, so like about 30%. So if it's like, if we've done like 1,050... No, it's races. like 1,200 in the middle. We haven't done 1,200. No, no, 1,050. Okay, maybe it's 1,050. We'll do over like 340. Yeah. So 30%. Oh, it is actually just 30%. That's insane. Shut up. Listen That's to me so when bad. I say something. <laughs> Third, that guy raced for a third of all the races in F1. And he doesn't even care. It's just a hobby for him. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, Kimmy, you know, I think, like, that's actually a sad part where 
Kimi is raised so far after his prime that people now only, when people think of Kimi, they think about, like, Kimi being funny. They don't think about Kimi, how yeah. dominant he is. Like, Kimi was so dominant, and Kimi never cared. Like, people dedicate their whole lives to winning an F1. <laughs> Kimi just wins by showing up. Bro, like, his first race, he was napping to, like, half an hour before the race. Someone came and said, like, oh, have to wake. Bro, there's a race. You're going to race a Formula 1 car in half an hour. It's like, the guy's still asleep. And he went out, and he got, like, points. Like, I swear he was so... The people, people talk about what seasons was it? I think it was 2005. No. Three. It was three. Yeah, three. three. They said he peaked and he should have won and all of this because the McLaren wasn't reliable. Yeah. And then I think there was another one. It was like five or something. I think it was 2005. Yeah. Where he was also like really good but the car wasn't reliable enough or good enough. So He kept, reti- <clears throat> he kept retiring essentially and then he won in 2007 when no one thought he was going to win. Yeah. Yeah. But... That's because Lewis, uh, you know, couldn't it's handle because, the pressure. Nah, it's because McLaren was... Uh, no, he couldn't It was Spidey, they weren't allowed to win. No. I slipped and something. You know, there's actually a theory about that. There's a theory. So Lewis... Lewis, Lewis, Lewis was asked about this Lewis in 2011. Lewis lost it in China, no. bro. Yeah, but why did they leave him out for so long? He lost it in why China. Why did they leave him out for so long? He lost it in China, bro. Why, why did they leave Why did he get so stuck in the gravel? Because his tyres were gone. They were literally gone, Bono. The tyres were gone. Bono, the tyres were gone. He didn't set a fastest lap, though. But the truth of the matter is, Lewis can't drive. <laughs> the face, bro, the face is back. Right, listen, we'll move on from the history. The Lord of the Eyebrows is a better driver than him. I just heard someone say about Fernando Alonso, the Lord of the Eyebrows. Yeah, I think it's, uh, and I just found I think it's so Josh Ravel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just found We've it got so to. Funny. I'll put a, I've got to link that picture of Alonso. Like, Alonso's had some horrific outfits back in the day. But like all of them, I sent you a video. He's a strange looking guy. Like Michael had that like fur one, Lewis had like the, he the went like, Vodafone. Baggy jeans and that with the Vodafone shirt. Yeah, and then Fernando had like the bandana. <laughs> he had the weird glasses as well. And the weird Bro, glasses. The guy is strange. And, like, it's just blue and yellow and it was weird. Like he looked like that looked bad. Strange. Alright. That's, I guess we'll just wrap up the history segment. We're going to go on to like a, how F1 actually works. So we're going to go into like the, uh, just the idea of it in general, really. So that's how it started off, those some historic moments and stuff. But now if we get on to what F1 actually is, we've got 10 teams ranging from some of the ones we've already mentioned to other ones that are newer. They have, I don't know, billionaire owners and all of this. But we have 10 teams, and then each of them has two drivers, so that's 20 drivers in total. We have 23 races this year on the calendar, and... Your finishes in each of these races will give you points, and then at the end of the year, whoever has the most points wins. There are two, uh, what's it called, two championships to win. The drivers, where your individual points are added up, and then, you know, you, you win. Or you have the constructors, which was introduced in 1958, where you and your tim- teammate, the two people in the same team, they have their points added up, and then that gets accumulated for the team, and then whoever has the most points out of that wins as well. Yeah, I think, like, uh, two things to mention. Ten teams is what we have now. Uh, it used to be, we used to have a bit more, a bit less. And yeah. the two drivers, teams used to, like, have a few more. They'd have, like, three drivers at some point. Um, the, that's just kind of what we have now. Yeah, it's it just to kind of range. Yeah. Uh, 22 races, that's just, like, it used to be a lot less. But as time has gone on, like the number of races has obviously gone up. Yeah. And the way the points are distributed is 
the higher your finish, the more points you get. Obviously, yeah. We'll get onto the, the specifics. I think it's just fair to mention that because a few people were confused by uh, someone asked me uh, recently. I don't remember who. But they asked me, it's like, how do they get points? And they're actually like oh, confused. Okay, yeah. Do you like how the grid is set up? We'll, and it's yeah, like, we'll do, do you win so. by like, it's like, do you win the race by timing or do you, whoever finishes first and we're very confused. Oh. Now, we'll get on that. So, just to start off, we'll start off with the race weekend and then build up to the race and points okay. afterwards. So, we start off with just the race weekend in general. The race weekend starts on a Friday. You have two practice sessions. Thursday. Thursday, which is just a media day. Like, it doesn't really count. Exactly. They just go about doing media. They do interviews. And that's that's when the teams, basically, they come in with, like, generally speaking, the teams will plan, like, a few months ahead about how they're going to get all their equipment to the country and it's generally a matter of depending on like if the country's in Europe there's going to be like uh, trucks driving there trucks driving there if it's say Singapore or the US or stuff like that they generally have ships going like a few months before yeah. so the the stuff gets there I think on a Monday or a Tuesday and then they set up essentially from a Tuesday and then everything has to be done by like Friday night where uh, they set up like the hospitality stuff. They set up the garage. The cars come in. All the extra F1 stuff. Everyone sets up the uh, direct, the yeah. directing and stuff because they need a massive building to show exactly. like stream the cameras to everyone. Yeah. So basically, that all is done. Like the actual F one weekend will probably start on like a Monday or a Tuesday, but that's just the teams kind of getting everything ready for the actual race. Uh, Thursday is just like this is like most of them except. I think Monaco is a bit different. Monaco does change yeah. things, but we'll just leave it general yeah. for now. Uh, so generally speaking, the start on Monday and then Thursday is media day. So you get kind of the drivers come in and like, depending on like the way they set it up, like the Formula One kind of whoever, they, they put like yeah. drivers together. So like it'll be like, say, Lewis and Verstappen or whatever. They did that at the end, you know, I think it was like for... It's so fit, yeah, it's meant to be random, but yeah, they it did, was like they did Horner and, uh, what's his mm. name? Horner and Wolf were in the same one for that as well. And then Lewis and Verstappen but, were like, yeah, this is random. <laughs> but, um, so the first time you'll see cars on track then, if you want me to word it properly, is Friday. They have two practice sessions, which are, I think, an hour long each now. They used to be an hour and a half, where... It's not competitive, they just set times, they go around, they get used to the uh, the track layout and stuff. It's mainly just about gathering data, so they'll see how the tyres work, they'll see how what it feels like, they'll try and set some good lap times. Uh, it's just general, it's to help set them, set them up to find the strategy for the actual race. The interesting stuff is on Saturday, that's the first competitive session and it's qualifying, so do you want to run through Q1, Q2 and Q3? Yeah, so... Um Saturday we have FP3, so the final practice session, and then the way qualifying works, yes, this is what my friend was going to say. So the way qualifying works is you have three qualifying sessions, Q1, Q2, Q3. Q1 has all 20 cars, and then essentially they all go around, and there's like, I think it's like 20 minutes. Correct. Almost 18, I think. 18 minutes. So there you have like, say, 18 minutes where you can go up, you can go at any point in time, and you set up your quickest lap, essentially. And based on your quickest lap, the table is set, so P1 to P20. And then the last five are knocked out. So you have 18 minutes, you can go around the whole 18 minutes trying to set the fastest lap. We can go around once or twice, it's up to you and your team. And like, essentially it determines how, much, how many tires you use. So that's Q1. Uh, the last five are knocked out, so going to Q2 you only have 15 left. 
the last five, that's their starting position unless penalties are applied. So Q2 is basically, it's a bit less, I think it's 15 minutes. Uh, the 15 left, like the cars left, they go out and set their fastest lap. And same thing, and the last five cars are knocked out. And then the tire you qualify on in Q2, so if you qualify in Q2, that tire is a tire you start the race on. If you're in the top 10. If you're in the top 10, yeah. And then Q3 is the last 10 drivers. They go out and they set the, their best times. And this is where, like, if you're like a car in the top three, this is the one that actually matters because this is the one where you need to be first to start P1. or You want to essentially, that's the really critical one. Yeah. And that's how kind of the grid is set up from P1 to P20. Obviously, if uh, if you do something wrong, you can get a grid place penalty, which is uh, they put after quali uh, after qualifying before the race. So say if, if I qualify on pole, I get like a five grid penalty for ignoring double uh, waved yellow flags or something. We'll explain that. I'll, well. go, I'll go down from P1 to P3. So say I block another driver in qualifying, I'll go down from P1 to P3. So like the, whoever is P2 will go up to P1, whoever is P3 will go up to P3. Uh, two and I'll go down to P three. That's kind of the way it works with yeah. penalties. So, is kind of you go down. So qualifying just answers the question: How do you decide who starts where? Because if you're starting at the front, you've obviously got an advantage. So what they do is they do this to decide what order they line up in for Sunday's race. Uh, yeah, that that explained it pretty well. Uh, just as a definition as well, pole position is just qualifying in first. So if you're starting in first on Sunday, you've got pole position whoever pole position is basically who is the quickest person on yeah one so whoever sets the fastest time you get over position. one over one lap he takes pole position uh, yes. in qualifying whoever whoever sets the fastest lap over the course of one lap in the race gets the fastest lap of the race that's a different separate we'll do that with yeah, the yeah. points so then on sunday we have the grand prix it's the only event for in the UK, it's normally around like one o'clock, like just middle afternoon. Uh, it can vary depending on time zones and night races and stuff, but normally it's around then. It's a bit later if, like, say you have Singapore or the US, it'll generally kind of. Yeah, it'll shift things a little bit. Australia will also put it in the morning yeah. as well. Like places like Japan will put it like morning races, maybe even 6 a.m. But it's normally quite good, it's, it's an attainable time. Uh, the laps are decided based on the length of the track, so we have like a minimum distance to cover, so that's why there's different numbers of laps. It may look like a lot, like Monaco is 71, but Spa so is, is 44. Short, yeah, but it all varies, like, at the end of the day, they have a two-hour limit, most races are about 90 minutes, realistically. So, it's not that long, like, realistically. It looks long, but it's not that long. They have, like, two hours of, like, actual race time, so if there's, like, red flag or if the race actually a red flag is where a race stops that technically doesn't count from the trials they can go a bit over then um, yeah but the two hours is just the tv the slot they have to keep yeah. within now because it was a rule introduced after probably the most entertaining race there's ever been at least for me canada 2011 <laughs> quality race um anyway so that's the grand prix there's the race uh, whoever finishes first wins, and then based on your finishing finishing position, after penalties, obviously, the points are handed out. The point system then for the drivers is the winner gets 25, second gets 18, third gets 15, and then it goes... Oh, wait, hold on. 15, 12, 12 10, 8, 6, 
four, four. two, one. Yeah. So that's P1 to P10. Yeah. If you finish 11th or below, you don't get any points. So points are very important, especially for the, well, the drivers, if you want to win, is important. For the constructors, they get prize money based on where they finish, just like the Premier League and other stuff like that. So the higher you finish, finish, the more money you get. So you want to be doing that. Um, what else? I will go for, we'll go with the calendar. If you want to move on to the calendar. So they acquire these points at the end of a race, then you move on to the next one. The stuff gets shipped, we move over, you start the race weekend again. Um, it used to be one, one like point fact about the points and like stuff like that is like say for instance like Lewis Hamilton has like a crazy amount of points now compared to say Senna and even Schumacher and stuff because like before that used to be whoever won got only 10 points oh yeah they've been messing so, with the point system a lot so the point system has varied obviously the number of races also has varied so if someone has driven in the past like 15 years they will have a lot more points than someone who's won more but who's done that say in the 80s or 90s or 70s or whatever because they'll only have like per win they'll only get like 10 points yeah, so F1 stats are always skewed in that way. Yeah. Same way we've said about um, Verstappen having the record for most podiums in a season. Yeah, when, if you do it based on percentages, well. it's actually, yeah. it would be Schumacher. But yeah. like, there's no way of like accounting for fairness and all of this with F1 stats because there's just so many variables. Um, so, onto the, yeah, so the calendar, it's now 23 races, tracks... Uh, pay a fee to get on the calendar they negotiate deals and then they get rotated so there used to be races in certain countries like South Africa that uh, was a good race I, yeah. uh, there were quite a few other ones but they have them in places and then a few years later they get dropped like Malaysia was actually a really good one but they got rid of that mm. recently no was on there <laughs> so yeah there's quite Suzuka should be coming back but it's been it out is, for COVID for so, a while so the race is coming back this year uh, China, uh, Canada, um, China, Canada, and Japan, and one more race. Um, they updated it. They just Australia. 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 Uh, and Miami is the new one that's coming. Miami's a new one we haven't been to before, yeah. Yeah, but Japan is... Uh, oh, Singapore. Did you mention Singapore? Uh, no. Singapore is coming back as well. Yeah. Singapore's a good one. I like how Russia's just a white flag. Because I'm basically nothing there. Um, yeah. So those are the tracks. Some are better than others. Every single track is split into three sectors. It's about a third of the track. But it's to help with timings and safety. Uh, a sector is just... Yeah, the lines are shown. So if you say sector one, sector two, sector three. It's just parts of the track. It helps with qualifying. And it helps with race times it, it just splits things up so if it's like red bull are fast in sector one they're fast in the first few corners and then if mercedes are faster in sector two they're faster in the second yeah it's, it's exactly like how like in football you have <coughs> two two parts of a pitch like yeah, that yeah, half, pretty that much, yeah but it doesn't belong to anyone but as in like essentially it's the same idea but instead of splitting it into two halves it's split into three Thirds. It helps uh, safety wise as well. Yeah. yeah. So, so like, we if there's an accident in like one sector of the track, everyone has to be very slow there because the uh, marshals will be coming on the track to remove like debris and such. Um, it's used also for like say qualifying. They compare like sector time. So like. Yeah, um, do you want to explain the colors quickly? That's why I've yeah. Split down. So. Yellow. yellow the first. Okay. One. Yeah, yeah. So yellow means that you haven't improved on your best time, 
green means you're improving on your best time, but that means you're just, it's your own it's best time. It's a personal time. best, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Purple means you're quickest of everyone. That's why we have like the yeah, purple that's, here. Yeah, that's the explanation um, of the color for our logo. Yeah, so th this is for sector times. Uh, in terms of like, so if you get purple, 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 you're quickest of everyone. You can get green, green, purple, and still be quickest of everyone. It depends. Obviously, like certain sectors will play more like they're, they'll be more critical to lap time than certain sectors, depending on the track and conditions and such. So, yeah, that's basically everything. Yeah, so that, that's uh, sectors explained. And then we've done the point system. If we just go into the... So the drivers, as we've mentioned before, the most championships, it's a record held... Unfortunately, before, but joined by Schumacher and Lewis Hamilton, other key people. Yeah, Schumacher's We've got um, Fangio had five. Prost four. Prost four, Vettel four. Senna, Senna has three. Um, Jackie Stewart has three. Nicky Lauda, I think, has three as well. Has three, yeah. Uh, and then there's quite a few of one. Just bring it up. <laughs> I think there's been like, no, no, we'll just do off the top of our heads. There's oh, been like a 34 boy. F1 champions or something like that. Yeah, I think Verstappen became the 34th F1 champion. Yeah, but I'm jumping cool one too. Cool one too. I oh, there's loads of names where I can't remember. Alonso is the Alonso. key one. Yeah, yeah, he's Alonso. worth mentioning. So Alonso's one too. He's on the grid now. Uh, has, um, I don't think there's any other world champions on the grid now. No, no, no. But as an extra chap, I'm actually curious as <sighs> I mentioned the names. Because I want to see Fine. if the names I think of are, not, are good or not. Um, we've uh, actually been spoiled. Like, quite a few drivers have won, like, four, six. Schumacher before that won, like, quite a few back-to-back. -back. It's been crazy, hasn't it? Yeah, so it goes Lewis, Fangio, Prost and Vettel join. Schumacher. You didn't mention Schumacher, but you jumped I around. did. No. Schumacher, I Lewis, Fangio, Prost, Vettel. Yes. Jack. Mm. Yeah, I was right about that. Uh, PK, Senna, 1-3, you didn't mention Senna, bro. Ascari, oh, Graham Hill, Jim Clark, Emerson, Fittipaldi, uh, Mika Hakkinen. Mika Hakkinen, bro. Mika Hakkinen is a big one. Uh, Fernando Alonso, they won two. And then for one, we have... There's loads of people uh, yeah. who won. But Wait, on the let, current let me, let me just read a few of them. Um, Jensen Button, Nico Rosberg, Kim, uh, Kimi Raikkonen, Damon Hill. Damon Hill, some of the people uh, you'll see on Sky. Jack Villeneuve. Uh, Max Verstappen, obviously, Alan Jones, um, James Hunt, obviously everyone... Mario Andretti is a famous one. Yeah, because he's the only American, basically. No, no, it's Phil Hill. Basically. Oh, yeah, Phil Hill was up there. Um, James Hunt, people know if you watch Rush. So the country with the most um, F1 titles is actually the UK. <laughs> or, like... Yes, it is, yeah. Just, that's the only reason I mentioned it. <laughs> that is all, that's all you wanted to Where's say. Where's Keke Rosberg? Keke Rosberg. He's got one. He's yeah, on but he wasn't on the list. Yes, he was. No, he wasn't. I swear he wasn't on the list. Bro, fine. Where is he? Was he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there he is. Keke Rosberg. Above Nigel Mansell. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. Same. Apologies. All right. And then in terms of constructors, I can't be bothered to list them, but Ferrari's got the most, like I said before. Ferrari, McLaren, Williams, Mercedes. Williams um, Renault, Lotus, um, Lotus. Um, anyway, so we've got two types of teams pretty much, like mainly we have manufacturers, the ones that make the engines, and then customer teams who buy the engines, everything else has to be made, okay there are certain parts you can sell to other teams, but in general you have to make your own car, and then you can buy a few like small parts, there's a list of certain parts you can buy off other teams, but the main one's the engine, 
the people who make the engines, we have Mercedes who sell McLaren. their engines. No, Mercedes, Ferrari, uh, Renault and Honda, but Honda left the sport, so now we only have three. But there is a yes. debate over Audi or um, Volkswagen coming in as an engine manufacturer. And from next year, Red Bull is going to be an engine manufacturer as well. So from next yes. year, it's Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull and Renault, which is now Alpine, but Renault. So the four, the four manufacturer teams on the grid now, Mercedes, Alpine, or Renault, if you want to say, Ferrari, and uh, Mercedes. Yeah, and then they, like sell the theirs to, they sell theirs to the other teams. The important thing is there's, I mean, there's uh, benefits to both. If you're buying your engine, you don't have to do all the work developing and stuff. You just get your fresh engine put in. But if you're making your own engine, you can suit the car to the engine because all you the design parts the and car stuff, around the engine. Yeah, so you design the car to fit the engine. The thinner the car is, the better aerodynamically it is and the faster it will go, probably. So what you want is to be able to make your own engine designed to suit your car specifically. And that's the issue McLaren had last year when they were changing engines because the conversation was would they be able to adjust to the different sizes and the way it's laid out and stuff like that. Okay, so constructors get money just to round things off by the the historic fund whatever you called it from before that we've mentioned the yep. prize money is also another way and then obviously the biggest way would be sponsors they get massive sponsorships with oil companies like petronas or shell for mercedes and ferrari and then just other ones that you'll see stickered all across glasses the glasses company <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh most famously actually with braun gp because they, no one expected them to do very well. There's an incredible image of them just with the iconic white and green car with basically just no sponsors. They had Virgin at the end, I remember. They had Virgin a couple, I think after a couple of races or something, but eventually they, but that car was like surprisingly empty purely because they just, it was acquired so late before the start of the season. And no one thought uh, they would do well. Yeah, there was just no point. But they're generally sponsored by like, they have like a, uh, headphone sponsors, glasses, like sunglasses, watches. Data companies is a big one as data well. Data company, all of that stuff. Um, yeah. PC stuff, all of that. Like some of them have Lenovo, some have HP now, like Mercedes. Oh, yeah. Um, it just sponsors all of their equipment, pretty much. Yeah. Basically. And then some image stuff as well. Like Rolex sponsors the whole of F1. Yeah, but, no, 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 but that's not specific teams. Yeah, the teams all have either... Um, I remember this. IWC sponsors Mercedes. Yeah. And the rest is sponsored Casio by... Does, uh, what's it called? Red Bull. Does it? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the rest of the teams, there is... No, no, but they're, they're now sponsored not by Casio. That's the old one. They're oh, Tag Heuer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the rest of the teams are sponsored by... I remember it's like a watch company that uses aerospace-grade material and everything they make. I forgot. Uh, Richard Mill or something like that. Oh, yeah, Richard Mill. They, yeah. they, 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 they sponsor McLaren. It's French, so it's not Richard. It's Richard. <laughs> <laughs> but they sponsor the rest of the teams, basically. Pretty much. Unlike yeah, F2. Yeah. Lando got his watch stolen, that's what I remember. Yeah, it was like, like £20,000 or something. I can't believe it. It was, it was one of the... The guy is like five foot six. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even lying. He's like, five foot, he's like five foot five or something. They're all short, you know. I think yeah, the, the shortest is Sonoda... The only the only tall ones like actually tall like George Russell uh, George Russell is like six foot, 
And then have your yeah. answers like basically five nine, five eight, five six, five five. I think yeah, Tsunoda was like five four, bro. Tsunoda's like five foot two, is even short or something like that. Really? Yeah, not really tiny. Like, I, there's a funny clip because Ocon's also very tall. Giovinazzi is a bit tall. Like, so, like, tall. someone was interviewing in the media pen, they were interviewing Ocon after a race. So they've got the camera up here in the film. <laughs> and then Sonoda comes in, they have to turn the camera down because he wasn't even in the shot. But yeah, so uh, we've already done the drivers, we won't really get into them. Because if you want to get A shorter driver is better for the car. Because yeah. like George Russell, because he's so tall, he actually affects the, the aerodynamics of the car. The fun. Like to fit him in, you have to actually yeah, change yeah. the design of the car. Just as like a fun fact. I think Hulkenberg is actually too tall for certain cars as well. Like, yeah. there was a certain point where, because he's taller and heavier, teams didn't want him. So, there's that. But yeah, if you want to get to know more about the drivers and stuff, we've mentioned the champions, those are the main ones. The other ones, you'll get to know them through Drive to Survive if you have to. Or just media in general, a lot of them post on socials and things. Uh, yeah, so, we'll move on from that. thing is called Drive to Survive, not Drive to Survive. <laughs> I still can't believe you did that. I'm surprised you didn't do that today. That's okay. Like 14 intro attempts. Right, six. So. It's like six, not 14. And you did it again when we were starting again. Don't, don't hide it. So, uh, we'll get on to so that, that. Then we get on to the actual race. So, to describe the race and how it works, you start off with a formation lap. That's just warming the tyres. So, when you see them weaving and stuff, they go around, they do one lap very slowly. Then they actually line up on the grid in their positions. Why, why, why do they warm up their tyres? Because they have an operating temperature, so everything in F1 has an operating temperature, the brakes, the tyres, they have to be like warm to actually be at peak performance. So they have a certain window they need to be in, which is a certain, like a minimum and a maximum temperature. So generally speaking, like, they warm up their tyres to make them more sticky so they can like stick better to the track and corners. So if the tyres aren't warm, they won't get grip. And so when they go around the corners, they'll just spin instead of the tires sticking to the ground and going around the corner quickly essentially. Back in the That's day, the they reason for the formation lap essentially. There used to be a really good um there used to be an infrared camera, if you remember on the cars. That was that looked so nice. It was so cool. I really like the new camera and the helmet of the driver. It shows how yeah. intense actually driving a car, like a Formula One car is. Yeah, so after the formation lap, they line up on the grids, the five red lights come on, lights come on they go off and then you start the race, that's when it starts, and then, as we said before, whoever finishes first finishes. So we'll get on to like pit stops and strategy for like this section. Pit stops make up like a major part of the race. You don't refuel anymore, the, the cars are fueled from the start with like 100 kilos or something. Yeah, because of Felipe Massa like 2008 Singapore. Yeah, yeah. So there are loads of images of actually. There's a famous one of Jos Verstappen he when dragged, his entire car was in yeah. flames. But Felipe Massa. He dragged flames. like the petrol like hose with him, and like it ended up spraying actual like uh, petrol on the car behind him, and it was lit quite quickly. I think it was Kimi Raikkonen behind him was lit quite quickly. Like yeah. So purely for safety, there's no more refueling, which means a pit stop is just four tires taken off, four tires put back on. And this happens in two seconds, which it just sums up F1. Like the fact they can just take off four tires and put them back on again under two seconds sometimes well, is insane. Judging from the fact that the tires are huge, like they weigh a lot and they're still managing to do that. Um, if I guess continuing with the theme of pit stops, then they make up a lot of the strategy. Do you want to try and explain what an undercut or overcut is? So, 
the way an F1 car works is you have different sets of tires, and if kind of in a very basic sense, you have the quickest tire that lasts the least, and you have the slowest tire that lasts the longest. And so, depending on your strategy, you can either start on the soft, which is the quickest one, but at least like, it wears out very quickly. Uh, mediums, which is kind of the middle, and hard is obviously the longest lasting one, but it's the slowest one. So you can start on either, and depending on that, and depending on how long the race is, and depending on how, say for instance, hot the track is, that will dictate how, how quickly the tires wear out. So like if, if, for instance, if you're racing at a very hot track, generally speaking, the tires will wear out quickly, so you need to stop twice for tires. Other races, you need to only stop once. And so essentially based on which tire you stop on, it dictates like which tire you're gonna go on, when are you gonna stop, and which tires you're gonna put on, and it dictates how actually quick you're gonna get to the end. So you wanna you wanna come up uh, come out of your pit stop at the perfect time. You don't have any traffic, you don't have any one in front of you, so you, you can go quicker essentially. You don't want anyone holding you up. And so this is the whole idea of strategy. Essentially you wanna perfect like your tire strategy to get the most out of it to get like essentially finish the first or like as quickly as possible what's next yeah so that's the strategy and then if we get to the undercut if oh. we start with undercut okay okay so if the say for instance if the leader say the leader is uh he hasn't pitted before and he's going so if the second driver stops before him puts on new tires comes out he'll gain an advantage essentially over the front car and essentially what you do is uh, if the leading driver comes in the next lap stops because of because the second car he stopped first he's actually going to have a quicker lap and so he's going to be able to either cut down the distance between the first and second or even in some cases under uh, overtake him so that's an undercut an overcut is where the front car generally speaking if you're in first actually runs longer so he he forces the second car to go in change the tires come out but he manages to make the tires last long enough that when he comes in and comes out he actually still stays ahead generally speaking that's what's an undercut and overcut yeah so if you imagine it like us running uh, a running track but you have to like in the rules you have to take a quick 20 second break a pit stop normally lasts 15 to 20 seconds if you're including the time coming into the pit lane and leaving again if you have to include that, it's just all about the strategy of how you take that break and when you take it relative to someone else so you can gain the most time uh, relative to someone else. Um, and then moving on, that we've got the rules. We're not going to get into rules and regulations, right, no, seeing no, as no. they don't get followed. But um, there are loads of flags. The main ones you'll see are the same ones you'll see on any karting track. So black flag is disqualified. Green is uh, you Race. can go up to racing speed. White and black. Is white is last lap, but they don't really use that. No, oh, no, white and black. And black. Is, yeah, so there's it's black and white with a diagonal line in the yeah. middle. That's yes, yeah, so that's a warning. There is the black and white one that indicates the race is over. The checkered flag, yeah. yeah. There there's is that. a yellow flag that indicates that there is you need to slow down in a sector because there is an accident. 
Yeah. Double waved yellows means that it's worse. And then you've yeah, got slow to like walking speed up. Uh, VSC means that there's a virtual safety car, which essentially means all cars go down to I think sixty percent of their speeds. Forty, I think. Forty percent of their speeds. And essentially what happens is to slow them down without deploying a safety car. Yeah, so they don't bunch up, they don't do... It's just, uh, if you imagine Martin Brundle, the commentator, always loved to say it's like a scale electrics track. So if you imagine a scale electrics track and you have two cars five metres apart, if they're both going at half throttle, the distance between them doesn't change. Hmm. So it's to slow everyone down, but it, it doesn't change anything. It's to allow the marshals to remove debris, essentially, off track. And then yeah. you've got the safety car when it's deployed, essentially what happens is... The safety car will come out and then it will slow down and then all the cars have to come uh, come up and catch up behind the safety car and essentially the safety car will dictate the speed they're going at and this will like if it's a big crash they're gonna have the essentially the safety car come out to allow the marshals to move say like if there's a car in the middle of the road to move the car to and then remove the debris and stuff and then the safety car will come in and the race will go so generally speaking a vsc or a safety car will come out under like yellow flags like when you have yellow flags they can be like deployed one of them will be deployed generally speaking and then the last one will be a red flag and that means the race will be stopped so the race will be stopped because there's like a massive crash there's too much debris to remove too much rain track. sometimes as well yeah so like um spas a spa this yeah year. so essentially what happens is the race will be stopped generally speaking like for can be from 15 to like uh, minutes to like an hour and then the race will resume from where it stops. So if it stops lap 15, it starts lap 15. It can either start from a standing start. So that's like a normal like start of the race. On the grid from yeah. how you were before the Or it can start flag. behind the uh, safety car. So the safety car comes in. And then whoever's leading at the time, he dictates when the race essentially starts. So he can go slowly. And then at whichever point he feels comfortable, he starts the race by going off. And then everyone can race behind him. Essentially, and race gets going yeah so uh, okay. yeah that sums up the race if there's any questions we'll we'll be happy to yeah, answer put them, them in the comments below and we'll like yeah comment on it. uh just quickly we'll come over like some key terms in this section uh in terms of driving another form of under and over is understeer and oversteer understeer is when you're turning the wheel but the car doesn't turn enough so if you're turning but it just goes in like a straight line it just slides forwards then that's understeer Oversteer is the opposite. If you imagine drifting, but purely just by turning the wheel a bit too much, the rear end steps out and then you start drifting. That's oversteer. Uh, if people talk about lockups or flat spots, you're braking too hard or braking while turning. The wheel, instead of slowing down gently, if you imagine like a bike, instead of the wheel slowly stopping, it just stops. And that causes the smoke that you see. Yeah. It causes a flat spot, which is the... The rubber, the bit of rubber that was rubbing against the track, it it becomes flat rather than round, as an exaggeration. Yeah, generally speaking, when a lockup happens, the tire doesn't go around. So what happens is the brakes will clamp, and then the tire instead of going around, the tire will just stay fixed. And so what happens is instead of the tire going around and like new surface area of the tire contacting the track, for the like however long they stop the same patch is in contact with the ground. So essentially yeah. it burns up, so it melts quite a bit. So you have kind of like a weak point on that tire. It's like pushing at that flat spot, uh, flat spot, essentially. Yeah. 
So the flat spot is the part that you've been yeah. dragging across. Yeah. yeah, so that's the weak point, essentially, the flat spot. And then the last one is box, which you'll hear over the radio, and that just means pit. So when a driver is told to box, you're just told to pit. And then one that we forgot to mention before, the teams, they're split into the front runners, which are the fast ones that you see, like Red Bull and Mercedes. And then anyone else like behind that is called the midfield. Those are the, the cars that you'll see in like 10th and 15th. Every, everyone, fifth. basically everyone besides those fighting for the race. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So that sums up the race section. DRS. We'll get onto that in the technical side. So okay. just quickly, we're going to do the technical side. We're going to do a full episode on this next week. But just to give like a, a brief introduction into this section to lead into next week. Uh, I've split this into three sections. The first one is aero. That F1 aero is the thing that makes cars like different to everything else. So the engines are great and stuff. And F1 cars can hit 210 miles an hour easily. And there's loads of YouTube videos of them doing drag races with Bugatti Veyrons and all of this. But the aero is the key thing. Oh, like, they're much quicker, by the way. Just, just Yeah, they still win. They still win. But the main thing is the corners. Like, F1 cars corner at incredible speeds, which... To put it into context, an F1 car can go around, like, a corner. Like, say, if a normal car goes around at, like, 50, 60 kilometers an hour, an F1 car can go around at, like, say, 200 kilometers per hour. Yeah, comfortably. So the safety car, actually... Is a, is a good example of this. So the, the safety car is either a Mercedes-AMG car, like a very good Mercedes-AMG, or it's an Aston Martin like Vantage, I think they use. Yeah. It's like a sports is, car, it's a high-end yeah, sports car. it's a high-end sports car. The safety car driver goes almost as fast as they can around the circuit when they're trying. The F1 cars follow them in first gear. Like, they when they're behind the safety car, the guy's trying as hard as he can to go around the lap, and they're complaining that he's not going fast enough while they're sat in first gear. So that's the difference between to the put two. it into context, like in certain circuits, like the average speed can go up to like two hundred and eighty kilometers per hour. I think Monza is something like that. I don't know the conversion. So, to be honest, but like, I think that's essentially right. like most of the lap is just flat out on the like on the accelerator, like as in they don't lift pretty much. Yeah, lap. like the uh, I think a uh, like a funny thing that people came up with was like even back in twenty eleven. I think past 160 miles per hour, and if one car produces enough downforce, which is the opposite of lift, like planes produce lift as the air goes over them to help them like fly, F1 cars do the opposite of this to stick them to the ground. And at 160 miles an hour, the air is moving fast enough for them to counteract their own weight in downforce. Which, in simple terms, means if they were driving upside down, they'd be able to carry on driving upside down. So if you have an F1 car going above 160 miles an hour, in theory, it could drive upside down. Yeah, so there was... uh, Someone had asked Daniel Ricciardo about this. So, like, technically speaking, in a tunnel, an F1 car can essentially go in on the ground and go wee and just, like, drive fully upside down and go down. Like, that's how much... Downforce it. It's something Red Bull would do. I'm surprised they haven't. They've definitely probably tried it. Like that's such a Red Bull thing to do. No, I don't. I, I if think it's like, too I dangerous, think... like because like someone of someone like maybe with they can try it now with like the halo. I think before the halo thing. That's true, actually. Yeah. But I don't think there is a tunnel long enough for them to actually try this because you need to be like that's at a good full point, speed, yeah. and then you need like the the junction between the ground and like the tunnel to be like tarmac to be perfect and then you need that to be tarmac perfect yeah so uh, yeah that's a good it's, a, it's way too complicated either way we've uh red bull has produced like if you watch 
anything on Red Bull. They love doing insane stuff, extreme sports. They've done a lot of stuff with their F1 cars. Like, they had them, uh, I think, drive up against, like, a, yeah, drive on snow. They put, like, special tyres and chains on the tyres. They've had it uh, push against rugby players. I think there were, like, 11 rugby oh, yeah, players. Like, rugby whole, players against pushing it. against the F1 car. Yeah, they've the, done a lot The of rugby stuff. players held it, though. I was quite surprised. It was, yeah, it was impressive, to be yeah. fair. Solid stuff. Um, there's strict rules about the aero because otherwise the cars would get too fast for their own good. And, you know, you need them to be safe at least because if one thing goes wrong, it's all over. But that's why they're so sensitive because uh, they're made out of carbon fibre, which makes them very light, but it also makes them so fragile. So... Uh, carbon fibre is, is not fragile. Carbon fibre is strong. But when you're going into the wall at like 10, 15 Gs... Do you want to explain what Gs are as well? Like the G-force, okay, yeah, yeah. So G-force is the amount of like... So sitting down here, we're experiencing 1G, which is one bar, I guess. Uh, but like, how do you explain this? It's, so we, we've got it's like the, the weight of our bodies. Yeah, you're experiencing one of the weight of your body. Yeah, one times the weight of our body Yeah. right now acting down. Exactly. That's, that's from the pressure of like the air, essentially. But when, when you're in, like, say, an airplane, like, fighter pilots can experience up to 9 Gs. And that 9 Gs is the maximum a human can actually experience. So, like, Formula 1 drivers, they experience it slightly different from fighter pilots. Fight, fighter pilots experience it over the whole of their body. So if you look at, like, some of the U.S. Air Force, they have some of them where they, like, they train them, essentially. And you see their face just goes, like, the age 50 years and, like, two yeah, seconds. Yeah, it's the funny spinny thing where they yeah. send people in that little, like, cage cube-looking thing and they spin them around really fast. Uh, but essentially, the fighter pilots experience it over the course of their whole body, which is, essentially, it's, like, multiplying your body weight by, like, say, eight or seven or whatever. And that's how much force you're... you're uh, experiencing formula one drivers because they're strapped in and because the way the car actually operates it's not going up or down it's just going sideways essentially and the front they only experience lateral so it's only in this plane essentially so it's either yeah, sideways like to the front so like backwards and forwards or to the sides and the max they experience would be like about five g's but think about it this way you have the weight of your head and then the helmet on top of it and that's pushing at your neck so if he essentially if a formula one driver is driving he turns, his head goes this way. If he if he if his neck can't withstand this, he misses the corner and then he just crashes. And that's even more Gs when yeah. you crash it. And then when you stop as well, like so their brakes when they stop, their brakes are so strong that like you see like amateur drivers essentially their head goes like this. <laughs> but like yeah. you see even with Formula One drivers, their head moves ahead a bit. But they need to essentially keep their head like be able to resist all this force to be able to actually corner. And so by the end, of, this is why like drivers lose like two kgs per race. Is the amount of force that their body is essentially experiencing throughout the race. Yeah. And for them, that's why you find like Formula One drivers has massive necks. It's because of all that resistance. Yeah. So they physically have to train their necks for these forces. And every time they make an action on the car, because they're going so fast, and because the aero allows them to go this fast, they have to withstand these forces. Because if you're turning left, your head gets thrown right and then the other way and if you break you get sent forwards like you said so if you go quickly to the front your head gets sent back but that's the least of your worries because it actually supported if it goes back. yeah you've got the thing behind your head so that sums up the error i think the actually to be fair you can explain drs in this one as well because it counts as error okay drs is what's called a drag reduction system which essentially is on the rear wing if you ever watch a formula one race 
and you see the rear wing opens. And so the whole idea behind it is if the rear wing opens, you generate less drag. And if you generate less drag, you can go a bit quicker. And so the whole idea is if you're close enough, you can open the rear wing. And essentially what happens is you open it, like you can see in the picture here, it opens here. Oh, what's going on? It's, oh, uh, if you go down. Oh, sun article. Yeah, so it opens up here. So this is an open rear wing, uh, which, you, like, I don't know if you can actually see it. Like, it's open here, like you can see on top here. But when it closes, this black part goes up. And essentially what happens is, is to make it, like, better for cars to race after each other, because you generate less drag, you can go a bit quicker, you can catch up to whoever is leading the race, essentially. Yeah, so just like the sectors, there's a certain point, it's a white line, uh... And just before the straight, this white line is called the DRS detection point. If you're within one second of the car ahead, then there's another line coming up, probably a few meters later, that a white light shows up and it says, all right, you can use DRS. Use DRS in the straight, you overtake the car if you can. And then when you brake, it closes or you press a button and it closes because it's only allowed within to certain straights, yeah. like their designated zones. Uh, you're allowed it in qualifying as well to speed up the times as well. So, but, yeah, so DRS in the race is not over the whole racetrack, but rather specific zones that are set out that can, where you can safely essentially use DRS. Yeah, because otherwise you're not producing enough downforce to go quickly around exactly. the corners, so you'd end up spinning out or something. Uh, that's everything. So that sums up DRS. I've, we've got two more things quickly. Tires, we've mentioned a lot of it before but there are technically seven different types of tires. There's five dry compounds, which are ranging from C1 to C5. The C1 being the hardest and the C5 being the softest. The ones you see on the race for simplification are the red softs, the yellow mediums and the white hards. Yeah, so they're one of the, essentially for East through racetrack, Pirelli chooses either C1, 2, 3, 4, or 5, depending on the racetrack. So it could be 1, 2, and 3. Yeah. It could be 3, and they only five. send, they'll send essentially um, one of them. Like, essentially, so like the, the medium, soft, and hard can come in different, like, so a medium for one race is not equal to the medium for a different race because the, the racetrack demands are different. Yeah. So they'll send like different, essentially, compounds. They're not the exact same compounds. So I think they label them as C1 to C5. Uh, yeah, for, so the, for like, so like the medium, the three of them are labeled under like C1 for like this racetrack, C2 for this racetrack, C4. But it's the same three compounds. But yeah, so the, the yellow one you see on one race is not going to be the same yellow one as you see in another race. But the yellow still represents medium wherever you go. So as we said before, the, the red one will degrade the most. So loses performance quickest, but it's the fastest it's the ones they'll use in qualifying for the fast laps the hard is going to be the slowest but it lasts the longest so your strategy is based around this uh and then the other two that we haven't mentioned are the two wet weather tires the intermediate which is when it's like damp it's still wet maybe light rain uh they're green and then the dark blue ones are the full wet weather tires i think the stats that they are yeah that's the heavy rain and I think the stat is like they get rid of 65 litres of water per, per second. second yeah, which is why if you see F1 cars in the wet, they... The amount of spray behind them is... Yeah, the spray is mad, like it's really high. Purely based on that, plus obviously the error of the cars kind of guiding. Like the, 
the way the arrow is, just to talk about this again, it's so specific that the air, like the path of air is followed throughout the entire like car. So like air will be guided by the front wing, maybe to cool the brakes or send somewhere else or send somewhere else. So all of these little intricate parts have, they play a part in guiding the air to where they want it to go. And yeah, based on how good a team does that, that pretty much dictates how fast they're going to be. Uh, that's the tie done. Do you want to just define like the the definitions down here? So we've got I degradation. Like how you're all of this stuff on me. <laughs> Bro, now you can go on. Degradation. Um, okay, degradation is the amount of wear and tear you get on the tire. So, uh, like a normal tire, it will last like say ten thousand kilometers. Uh, an F one, like like the tires on an F one car, will last like fifty kilometers. Basically. So like twenty laps. Yeah. So when when they say deg, they mean degradation, which means like how much the rate at which the tires are wearing so say for instance like for the softs they'll wear like they have higher degradation or higher deg than like say the hards because they're wearing out much quicker so you're gonna only be you'll only be able to use them for say like 10 laps rather than say like 30 40 laps yeah uh the phrase off the cliff oh that's what they're gone yeah that's so they slowly deg degrade and they lose performance and then once it's just completely gone, like and they can say on the cars, on on the camber as well. Oh like, yeah, yeah cameras. Was it cameras? Yeah, they're basically like you're on the last part, as in the tires are gone. All right, there's a blistering and graining. Blistering is kind of similar to a like a, a flat spot in a way. It's where essentially you get like that weak point on the tire. But I don't yeah. know. They, I saw pictures of them like earlier. They look exactly like skin blisters. Like they just. They reduce performance. If it's very hot or a high deg track, then you can end up getting blisters on the tires and it reduces. It depends on like the track where the track overworks the tire. So you'll get like points where that point is being overworked at this same corner again and again and again. So it's gonna yeah. degrade quicker. You're gonna get like a blister. Graining is obviously where you get like depending on the track, but the the tire wears so much you start to see like a certain amount of grain in it essentially. Yeah, and as you said before as well, like uh, some tracks will work certain tyres more than others as well. Yeah. So if you have a lot of slow corners followed by acceleration points, you're going to work the rear tyres a lot. Uh, a An anti-clockwise track will mean you're going that way, so you're going to have more left turns than right turns, which means that the outside tyre, the right-hand tyres, will be worked more. So any anti-clockwise track will work the front right a lot so that could be the one that degrades the most Copeland for instance worked out like it was a clockwise and worked out the left front tires like yeah so what you'd expect and then the last one's marbles yeah I've not heard this <laughs> marbles are like bits of rubber that you get off they come off the tires and then they get dropped on the track uh, these come off they end up gathering in places where you wouldn't see the cars drive normally so another driving term is the racing line if you haven't of that basically the racing line is um it's, it's the, the quickest way around yeah, the it's track. the quickest way around the track so you go around the outside of a corner you cut in you make the corner and then you go outside again it's opening up the angle and not stuff. necessarily not in all cars but like sometimes and then the marble didn't do that outside. in this 2005 car that's what i'm saying that car was weird though like, yeah yeah but like, he, he he'd actually he'd actively uh like apply oversteer 
and then correct it out of the yeah. cup. That was the quickest way. But like generally speaking, what you're saying was great. I'm just so the marbles will build up in places where the cars aren't normally driving, which is why there's a dirty side of the grid. Basically. Because there's more marbles on that side, it's not as clean as the other side. So it just makes the track dirtier, the marbles build up on your tyres, it's not as good. Uh, and then the last bit, just quickly, is engines. The engine regulations have been changing for ages, but currently, ever since 2014, we've been using the 1.6 litre V6 turbo hybrids. Such a long name. It's awful. Basically, they're just the vacuum cleaners. They sound like vacuum cleaners. They're, they used to have like the V8. They used to be V8s. They used to be V12s. They used to be some big, loud was there engines. A V10 in them at some point? Yeah, I think there was a V10 at one point. But yeah, the this V8 is the... sounds like so. <laughs> like, just Google like a 2008 or 2006 car and just listen to that sound. It's just so they are, beautiful. Yeah, but... <laughs> These cars don't actually, but that's the thing, they're saying like, just like as a fun fact, they're saying from the 2026 new regulations for the engine, they're going to remove actually the MGUH. So for oh, people yeah, who don't yeah, know, I think I heard it, it doesn't matter. But like we'll the get MG, on to it next week. Next yeah, week. but the MGUH essentially, it takes out a lot of the sound of the engine. So they're saying that once they remove that, the engine is actually going to sound like famous. I reckon it'll be nice, but not as nice as it was before. I don't think it can go back to mm. how good it was last time. We'll see. Anyway, uh... The engine's made up of multiple components, and you're allowed a set number of these. So if you see people taking engine comp penalties, it's because a specific component is what's like, is what's degraded. So if so the engine's made up of like 10 parts, maybe you're allowed five of these parts across the season. If you've, I don't know, used like five ICs for one example, and then you need one for the next race, you're going to get a penalty for using an extra one. So that's... Generally, you're allowed three. three yeah. Three. So the As engine itself is made up of loads of components, which is why they're normally called power units to, you know, assign for all but of them. But you, you get like a... Like, so say if you change like a small part of the engine, for a, you, you won't get as big a penalty as say if you change the whole power unit. So yeah. some drivers, somewhere along the season, the drivers will change the whole power unit and they'll just get like fresh everything essentially. And then they get some back to the back of the grid. So they get like a 20, like maximum 20 place deduction. Uh, whereas if you change the ICU, which is the internal combustion engine of the power unit, you only go back five places. Because you're just changing one part exactly. rather than the whole thing. Generally speaking, when they need new parts, they just change the whole engine and take like a massive penalty, essentially. Yeah. The same thing applies for like the gearbox, essentially. If the you change, gearbox you're only right. allowed, I think, three gearboxes or a bit more. Uh, once that goes out, you take a penalty for taking a new gearbox as well. But yeah, I think that's it, to be honest. I think it makes, it makes F1 sound like very complicated. It does make it sound very complicated, but uh, hopefully like certain parts of this have piqued your interest because the whole thing about F1 is as much, as much as it's confusing, you don't need to know that much to get into it. And then the other thing is, once you get involved in something, then you'll become obsessed with it. Like maybe you really like the history, maybe you really like the logistics. There are videos made on how teams and stuff can go to one race in one country and then end up set up and ready for the next race in just a week for the next race in a completely other side of the world. Uh, you might like, I don't know, the rules, 
the racing itself hasn't been incredible. Realistically recently, speaking, you might like you that. You can't say that though. Last year the racing. Okay, yeah, no, actually, to be fair, yeah, it's, last year was entertaining. Realistically speaking, like, I've been watching F one for like what, uh, like actively watching F one for like seven eight years. Like as in, I watch it every year. Yeah. And there's still stuff that I learn like, like now, like some stuff I don't know, or some stuff that I need to think about. Uh, which one was it? So yeah. it's okay, like, even if you're coming new into F1, you don't need to understand everything. You'll pick it up as you go along. And, like, as you're watching, I think now the commentators, Martin Brundle and... Uh, Crofty, Crofty, yeah, Crofty. they do make an effort. Because, yeah. because of Drive to Survive and new fans coming, they're, they're a lot more aware of the fact that there are new fans watching. And so they essentially, they actively go out of their way to explain stuff. So if you don't understand something, it's okay, just watch the race and generally they'll explain it now as they go they never used to do this before yeah they you never have to kind of <laughs> understand it on your own but now they actively go out of their way to explain why something's happening or especially during a race um yeah, yeah they're very understanding and i guess the main thing is the technical side like personally like the only reason i'm here right now sat in this room is because i'm doing an aerospace engineering degree because when i was a kid i was interested in the era of f1 cars you might prefer You're the crazy, tires. Man. You might. <laughs> You're crazy, man. bro. It's interesting, man. I'm trying to get a job, man. Yeah. I'm trying to get it's a job. Because <laughs> you haven't done advanced aerodynamics yet. I can't wait. Don't make it sound like it's a bad thing, <laughs> bro. If it's a bad thing, my whole life is a lie. You know, <laughs> my whole life is gonna be a lie. Uh, yeah, you might prefer the engines anyway. Like it's, it's all technical. The engineering is incredible. Like there's loads of stuff to yeah, get into. The entire thing is a rabbit hole. Like. Like, even with the pit stops, like we said, pit stops are the pinnacle of engineering. Where are you going to find a two-second pit stop in any other racing? Like, they just don't exist. And so. plus, like, the, the reason F1 is, like, so big or, like, so important is essentially the teams use it as a marketing tool. But also teams use it because you, you basically, it's a, like, they don't make money, but they don't lose money. It's like they just break even. But the amount of technology that's actually invested in F1 you can take that and put it into a road car and you make like an insane, essentially, sports car. Yeah, and that's yeah, why yeah. you see a lot of the technology, like the Ferrari, La Ferrari. A lot of the technology in it was actually based on the F1 car. Same with and the like, Aston Martin. If you're, if, even if you're the last car in the F1 race, like if you're a house, you still like the, the technology you have in that car is like better than most road, like except like extreme hyper sport cars, not even yeah. like sports cars. I'm talking hyper sport cars, you know, like that. Like Connors eggs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, like that really, really expensive stuff. Like even not like I'm talking like a house would beat a Bugatti probably. No, okay, no, no. No, it would though, it would. <laughs> not with Mazepin driving it. Not with Mazepin driving. But as in like most F1 cars would be like a Bugatti, for instance, from from like a like on a racetrack, like a full lap, easily, they beat them. Easily, easily. Drag race, they beat them. Like the the 2012 uh, Red Bull beat. The thing beat like a Bugatti um, Chiron, like on a drag race. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a the quarter mile. They beat the, they actually destroy them on like a lap. And that was a straight line. That's like straight we're line. saying the corners are the main part exactly. of F1. That was a straight line, they still won. So, so the amount of technology that goes into it is incredible. Yeah, and you're starting to see that on more like the, the Mercedes Project uh, One. EQS. No, even the EQS, which is in like um, it's an electric car. Some of the aerodynamics was actually inspired in a way because it's, it has the lowest oh. drag overall drag coefficient of any car ever made and essentially it was derived some of the technology will be derived from f1 that's mad to be fair yeah. and uh, i guess the another key point just to end this quickly is uh 
the Williams from back in the, I think in 20, it was early 2010s, I think, Williams, the hybrid, or it would have been early like 2014 maybe, the hybrid engine, part of the hybrid engine, there was like a flywheel or something. The technology they like developed to harvest energy when you're braking, they made this component and sold it and now it's used in things like buses and stuff. So if you see hybrid buses and stuff in the UK, Williams sold the, the technology that they made to bus companies to help them. So when buses break, they can regain some of the energy. You see that in like uh, road cars as well, like a Toyota, for instance, you see that quite a bit, like in these you yeah. know, like efficient cars as well. You see it as well with like um, the engines, for instance, like, um, like say in the future, uh, Formula One in the next few years is going to move fully to like bio fuels essentially. Yeah. And it's going to be like, I think by 2023, it's fully, all the fuel it's using is biofuel. And essentially it's a test bed for like, car companies and the future of like developing a fully connect like not not just the biofuel but developing the whole kind of economy for it so like the factories necessary the the way you transport it the way you use it the way you store it all of this will be tested in formula one and then can be moved into uh yeah like just general life because the this turnover in f1 is insane yeah like the speed at which they can develop anything is insane yeah. this is the reason actually this new engine is being changed with the new regulations is because the technology like the mguh was a huge part of the engine it's not actually it cannot be translated at all even to hyper sports cars is not going to really be used and so that's a big issue with this because you're investing all this money in a technology that's never actually going to be used and so from the new regulations, they want to make an engine that can translate essentially into something that can be used and provide value essentially to, well, essentially like civilization. Yeah. I guess. So just know that your Prius in 2030 might be based off the 2014. The Prius now is based off some, like the Williams technology was like, is actually inspired the Prius. Like, you know how like when you break, you see like it gains some like energy. I'm Prius, but yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Because I'm rich. Yeah, rich. Yeah. I take the bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bus that uses the same technology. Oh yeah. Wow. I've yes. been in the Williams F1 car. And yeah. <laughs> so sure. I've actually seen a few ones. We went like, this is besides the point. But we went on a, like, um, in my second year, my second year here at university, yeah. we went for like a flight test. So we went down to Cranfield and we actually got on a plane and we did like flight tests and stuff. Like they actually, they did like, they flipped the plane, not flipped the plane, but like put it on the side and like yeah. did a lot of this stuff. And you take the data and you plot crafts and stuff. But Cranfield is basically like it's a fully aerospace university and they have the um, King, you know the Kingfisher, um, like the thingy, the Force India. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That they had that one there. No way. Yeah, yeah like the, right. the full car. The closest I've been to an F one car, I think my. Uh, I was like this far. <laughs> like, Hello. my mum took me to Mercedes World, so I've been to Mercedes World when I was like sixteen. Really? That's that in the UK? Yeah, yeah. Right. Of course it is. Yeah, something like that. That's dead. <laughs> <laughs> right, I was driving. I was just there to drive a car. I get to drive the road cars. That was fun. Road I saw car. the museum as well. That's dead. Uh, road cars were. It was cool to drive. I hadn't driven before. That's this dead. Shut up! You can't drive either. What are you doing? I can drive. I just choose not to. You're old as well. You should have got your license by now. No. I'm gonna get my license when I can buy a Formula One car. 
Bro, you know, I saw this one TikTok, yeah. It was just some rich American girl. There was this rich American girl, yeah. She was just dancing about, yeah. And in the background, there's an F2000 and something. Like a Ferrari from, like, the mid-2000s. Like, one of Schumacher's Ferraris is just up on her wall. And she's dancing about like it's nobody's business. All of the comments were like, oh, yeah, nice nice Ferrari in the background. How's it on your wall? Like, what is this? Charles Leclerc, for his birthday, they sent him, like, his car from 2019. So he has a Ferrari from 2019 parked in his house. I was like, why didn't they send me one? (laughs) (laughs) I would sleep in it, bro. You know those little racing beds? The (laughs) the Lightning McQueen beds that they sleep in. (laughs) I'd sleep in his car. You know when you get married and you're like, your wife wants to buy a bed, you're like, no, no, it has to be like a sports car. <laughs> That's going to be you. Bro, she's sleeping on the sofa, I'm sleeping in my iPhone car. <laughs> Anyways, I think we went off point there, bro. <laughs> I will take that as we're staying in. But yeah, that's the Explain series. We'll get more into the technical side and the stuff we mentioned at the end there for the next one. So if any of that sparked your interest with the aero or the engines or something, We'll explain it more along with the regulation changes for next year. We'll do an episode. Either that will fit into the next one or do a whole episode on it. We'll see. Uh, and then we'll get on to predictions and stuff for this year. Exciting. Yeah, it should Let's be in excited. a few weeks. We're starting, We're going to get like the about a month, essentially. Yeah, a little bit less than a month, uh, the teams are going to start unveiling their cars. So, yeah, so far announced has been Ferrari on the 17th and Aston Martin on the 10th. McLaren on the 11th. They said as well. They announced oh, I did not see Yeah, and then I think uh, yeah, that's everyone. So basically, the first testing is going to be in Barcelona on the twentieth, and then after that like March, right? No, twentieth of February what? in Barcelona, and then you've got testing in March in uh, Bahrain. So there are okay. two testing sessions. Interesting. Yeah. Anyways. Well, we'll try to get our predictions filmed before then. Whether they come out or not, we'll see. But we'll try to get them filmed before that. Anyways. Sick. Alright. We'll see you guys well, next week, I guess. Thanks for listening and that. Subscribe and all that. Rate us on audio platforms if you got this far. You sound so enthusiastic about it. Yeah, man. I'm a real YouTuber. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see you next week.